Hi, this is the Meiji at 150 student podcast. My name is Alex, and today we're going to be talking about Japanese whiskey. Hi, Alex. How's it going? What are we going to be talking about today? <laughs> we're going to be talking about Japanese whiskey and a little bit about its rapid development and how big it is on the world stage right now. All right, it certainly is. So why did you choose Japanese whiskey as your topic? Well, a couple of years ago, I heard that Japan had won Whiskey of the Year in 2015, I believe, the Yamazaki Sherry Cask. Okay. And I was really interested because when you think about liquor in Japan and stuff like that, you don't really think about whiskey. It's mostly sake, it's maybe some of the beers that, that are there, but a lot of it's rice liquor, I guess. So I was really interested in how it developed in Japan and how it became so popular in the world today. And so you're saying you kind of expected to, that most Japanese liquor would be sake or, or shochu, other types of rice-based liquors. Mm. And so here in Vancouver, like what kind of experiences with Japanese liquors had you had? Mostly it had just been, it had been some Japanese beers at, say, sushi bars and stuff like that. I haven't drunk soju, but mm. I, I've like obviously seen it being poured and stuff like that. So that was the only thing I was really familiar with. Okay, and so then what did you learn when you started researching the topic? Well, obviously I learned, like, sake is the oldest liquor in Japan. And when I was looking into it, it was, a lot of it was rice-based liquor. That's what's produced in Japan. But when I when I started researching whiskey, I found out that it was only being produced in about, started being produced in 1921, very recently compared to... Ireland, Scotland, in Canada, like one of the oldest distilleries is older than the actual country. So <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting to see such a rapid development in that industry and how popular it's become. And so then how did whiskey in Japan get its start? Well, it began in 1918, really, with a man by the name of Masasake uh, Tokushiro going to Scotland to learn uh, about the distillation process in whis- uh, of whiskey. And he returned three years later in 1921. And with one of his, with a partner, he started up a whiskey distillery and it sort of continued on from there. About 1934, they separated, but the two companies that they founded are still the biggest and most popular companies in Japan. So what two companies are those? Those are the Nika and Suntory whiskey distilleries. Oh, okay. So we have Suntory and Nika, uh, and they really, what have you discovered about their business as a whole? It's a lot more um, focused, I'd say, than, say, comparing it to the largest example, obviously, Scotland's. Mm-hmm. Whereas Scotland, they have hundreds of distilleries in Scotland, which is even a smaller country. Japan only has about seven. It's mm-hmm. it's really um, focused area that they produce in. And another interesting thing is that mostly they export. Mm-hmm. Whiskey is popular in Japan, but Japanese whiskeys are a little bit more expensive in Japan because of cheap American whiskeys and Scottish whiskeys and stuff like that. That makes a lot of sense that the founders of Suntory and Nika had both connection, both had connections to Scotland because mm-hmm. uh, Japanese whiskey is very scotch-like in its flavor profile. They, they, they the same techniques of using peat moss to smoke the grain and, or, and then distilling based on that. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. But Suntory is also a giant company that makes a lot of beverages, right? Yeah. What did you learn about that? I learned they own Jim Beam, which is uh, quite impressive. Um, 
Whiskies, which is Jim Beam being one of the most famous American whiskey companies. I learned that a lot a lot of things that they have a lot of holdings throughout the world. So it's they, they do have a subsidiary of Suntory Holdings. And through that, they've bought other, uh, like, American companies and I think a, some Scottish companies as well for right, whiskey, think, for production. I think they also own the Bowmore Distillery in Scotland, yeah. for example. Did so they're s- really growing. <laughs> and as you mentioned, they're very expensive. Mm. Did you see this news recently about the most expensive Suntory whiskey? Yes, I did. Most expensive whiskey that Japan has ever had at auction. I think it was, I had it converted here. It was 372295 Canadian dollars. For how much? For I mean, what what size is this? Was one yeah, bottle? I didn't, I didn't get the size. It was one bottle. Yeah, it was. Um, it was sold at auction, mm-hmm. and it was a. It was only fifty years old. I think it was pretty young compared to some of the other like really popular whiskeys. Yeah, I used to buy the Yamazaki twelve year in Japan for about four thousand yen, about forty dollars. Mm. Now I go to the liquor stores in Canada here. You, you can't even find it, first yeah. of all. And even the lower-grade Suntory, like the Suntory Toki that they sell, mm-hmm. still sells like $60 in Canada. Yeah, uh, I think that is definitely partly due to the fact that they did win Whiskey of the Year. It was it really blew them up in popularity on the, on the world stage especially. So what would you say is the most surprising thing that you've uncovered in your research? Honestly, I'd say how fast everything grew. Yeah. Even until, say, 1984 was when Yamazaki started releasing the single malt whiskey, when it was com- when most of the whiskeys were blends versus just a single mm-hmm. single malt. Um, and it wasn't even until 2003 that they won a gold medal at the International Spirits mm-hmm. competition. And I think, yeah, it's just really impressive how they grew. I mean, I'd say 1984 was definitely their really big turning point in popularity. And a lot of their growth has just been in the 21st century, really. Right. And then to think, you know, founded just under 100 years ago. Yeah. And then to within that 100 years to get the World Whiskey Award, become incredibly mm-hmm. popular, start buying up all these other uh, yeah. whiskey companies around the world. Mm-hmm. Compared to something, yeah, like Jim Beam's, which has been around for, I don't even know how old they are. They're really, but it's, yeah. it's definitely an old company from an old distillery in the U.S. So what's one cool thing that you discovered that you've been telling all your friends about? <laughs> I'd probably say it's the rate that they developed. One cool <laughs> and thing. not the fact that one bottle sold for <laughs> $300,000. Looking into this stuff, I did research liquor in Japan a little bit more. I'd say sake is 2,500 years old mm-hmm. as in a liquor. And it was also interesting to see that Japan's alcohol consumption is pretty much the opposite of Canada's, where it's mostly beer consumed here, like mm-hmm. over 50%. It's mostly spirits in Japan. So when you say spirits, what, what do you mean by that? Things like sake, soju, mm-hmm. whiskey to a degree. Mm-hmm. And not so much beer, and not so much whiskey, mm, but mainly... Definitely not wine. Wine's not wine, oh. pretty small. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say, yeah, definitely another thing is the fact that one bottle sold at auction for over 300,000 Canadian is... And that was just this year, that was in uh, January. I just think about it, like, every, every <laughs> single shot, you know, is enough to buy a car, it, yeah. basically. <laughs> when you take, like, a little eyedropper, <laughs> $100 just for a little eyedropper. Eyedrop of whiskey, yeah. So, but you still haven't tried any Japanese whiskey? Unfortunately not, no. Well. Maybe the next time you get together with your friends, you can all pitch in. Pitch and, in uh, and buy pop, one bottle. Buy, you know, <laughs> one bottle of Yamazaki. Mm. Yeah, some of the Yamazakis are f- in the hundreds easily, $400 bottles and stuff, which is more than I have to spend on whiskey alone. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> when I noticed that, like, 
whiskey was really growing in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. I mean, it does relate to the economic boom a little bit. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I'd say during the 70s and 80s, Japan was seeing, you know, the economic miracle, basically. So I'd I'd say um, there was definitely more room for indulgences, certainly. Mm-hmm. And it may have not been a sole factor in the, in the growth of these companies, but it definitely didn't hurt. I mean, things like alcohol and, I mean, fancy food and that sort of thing do become more popular in good economic times because people more, have more money. They have more disposable income to spend on it, right? When you were doing your research, did you come across any kind of skepticism? And I mean, I mean what, what made the Yamazaki Sherry Cask winning the World Whiskey Award such a big deal is that it kind of went against all of our preconceived notions, right? Mm. Oh, scotch is only from Scotland. You know, only only this only scotch yeah. can be the best whiskey. You know, how, why is this Japanese upstart thinking they can take on the world? Mm. Did you see anything like that? Definitely a lot of surprise, not a ton of skepticism. I mean, the the history behind it is, despite it being Japanese whiskey, the methods still come from Scotland. It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not some I guess something they entirely did on their own, but it was de- like it definitely had the formation of the original drink. And it's a good example, I think, of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Right. So here we have this Japanese entrepreneur who goes to Scotland, learns the techniques, brings it back, and kind of adds a Japanese twist to it because mm-hmm. as Yamazaki. As Suntory would say, they age the Yamazaki in Japanese barrels, using yeah. Japanese wood. Different wood. And that gives it a kind of a more local flavor. Mm. It's a good example of foreign influences coming to Japan, being reworked to fit local conditions, yeah. and then producing something that is actually quite good. Mm. It, was de- it was definitely interesting to see the, the combination of East and West. This Western drink coming from Scotland, obviously great historical significance, and Japan with their historic, historical context making it something kind of different and it definitely prospering on the international market because that's where most of the sales are right well. and that's a, that's a good point too is it's being made in japan not necessarily for the domestic market most mm-hmm. of it's being exported and to bring it all full circle this sherry cask whiskey wasn't even available in, in the japanese market it was only sold yeah. in the european market is the yeah oddly enough the european market right and so produced in japan shipped over to europe mm-hmm. and then actually some of the whiskey stores in japan had to reverse import it and so you were paying you know even higher mm. prices at some of the whiskey bars there just to get a taste of oh, the sherry cask yeah it's definitely bizarre to see how because it's odd to see like having to buy back your own product that, that's been exported i guess just due to the fact that it's taxed so high compared to international whiskeys and it's odd to see them do that rather than allowing more local businesses to thrive could also be just local taste, mm-hmm. local palate, right? People prefer sake, as it turns out. Yeah, but this is still a very new market. Mm-hmm. Let me see if it develops. There's a lot of good micro distilleries <laughs> in Japan that are producing some very good whiskeys, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't name them because <laughs> we don't want to endorse anything. The Meiji at 150 podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Center for Japanese Research and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website, meijiat150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.